Welcome to episode 23 of the Over the Counter Podcast. I'm Mark Eastrick. And I'm Andrew Whaley. Today we're going to talk about our ancient brain and addiction. Addiction, yes. Extreme, kind of like experiences that we are not built for. So, and kind of like what happens to our, our person and the corporality of our person in this modern world when we completely get assailed with this context that we're not designed for. Okay, so my vocabulary is not as large as Andrew's. That's and so in my in my world, oh, the fake what, humble PhD. What this ever. means is is that we know addiction is bad, at least in most circumstances for most people. Addiction is bad, okay? Right, and and that usually when we talk about addiction, it's usually like something really bad, like drug addiction or smoking yep. addiction or whatever it might be. And uh, there's been a lot of recent research what, in the past 10 or 20 years on the brain and uh, neurochemicals and exactly how brains work and all of this stuff that has revealed a lot about how addiction works on a biochemical level. Um, and even though Andrew and I are not brain scientists and we haven't even read all of the research... Uh, we're a little bit familiar with it. Yeah. And now, this is a long-term thing that I've been fascinated with, especially the concept of neuroplasticity, being able to, your brain being able to change and right. rewire. Right. And, and, well, and we've, I mean, people have always talked about things like um, uh, making your brain more wrinkly right? yeah. as you learn things. But it's, it's gotten way, I mean, the science has gotten much more sophisticated than that, right, in terms of uh, they've been able to figure out where people are learning, when they're learning, mm -hmm. and then chemically what occurs in the brain at when someone has learned something. So, for example, um, right. they talk about uh, myelization. Have you heard of this? So there's a, uh, a fibrous material in the brain called myelin, and when you build a new pathway from one uh, yeah. neurological, what do we call it, neural area to another, uh, which represents learning, uh, yeah. the, the sort of sheath around that neural pathway myelin is made of myelin, right. and it gets stronger and thicker. I just have to point out that he's using really big words right now. So, <laughs> so well, the, the point wait, is, wait, 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 wait. We should, we should, we should warn them what they're signing on for. So, do uh, I've been traveling a lot, and due to like schedule issues. This is a real over-the-counter podcast. We are in the place, the actual seats, where the, this conversation, without being recorded, started a year or so ago, and then we ended up doing the podcast. Okay, so, so that's true, so there might be some background noise, I'm sorry. And I may have to stop and wait on a customer, because we, so we're actually in a working coffee house that is open right now. And I'm eating, what, a chocolate eclair or something like this? No, he's eating a pan au chocolat. Ah, yes, A chocolate croissant, basically. Again, my vocabulary fails. And I am having a delicious... Sumatra Lintong. What am I called drinking? Ulos Batak. You're having the same thing, except mine's fresher. <laughs> I see. I see. I got the old well, stale coffee. Well, you grabbed the coffee while I was making the new pot, uh -huh. so I got some out of the new pot. Okay. So anyway. Yeah. So um, so anyway. So you're getting the live, real deal today here. So. But the point is, addiction usually we consider it to be quite bad. Right. Right. Um, we we'll have to work on a definition of addiction because I think addiction, qua addiction, is bad. I think the good thing that you're describing isn't properly speaking addiction. But that's something we can hammer out later. Can we maybe give a, a, something of a list of addictions that people often struggle with? Yeah, I and mean, then we can talk about the characteristics of an addiction. Right. Okay, so, I mean, addictions, obviously, 
addictions to external substances, drugs, drug, smoking, yeah, coffee, pain meds, alcohol. You know, and then some of these you become addicted to the actual direct effect on your body. Well, and what about like workaholism? And some, but well, but some of them, like cocaine, you don't actually get addicted to the actual drug. You get addicted to the drug that your body produces whenever you're, you take that, and that's dopamine, right? Coke is just a really easy, quick way to get a bunch of dopamine. Right. And meth is the same way. So is right? jumping out of an airplane, and so is, you know, risky behavior and stuff like that can get you a bunch of dopamine real fast, too. Um, but then there's some things that, you know, yeah, so then you brought in, like, workaholism, stress addiction, uh, porn addiction is like, and this is interesting because porn addiction, if I'm not mistaken, I went to a talk about this last night, porn addiction Video game addiction and even internet addiction have all been um, added to the DSM. So the DSM five, I guess maybe it's DSM six. It's basically the Bible of psychologists. Well, it, 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 what, and where the rubber meets the road is it basically classifies what an insurance company will pay right. if you get someone to treat you for it. Right. And this is a see. I hate gigantor centralized systems like that. Yeah, but I think it's stupid I that, there, that there's too. a psychologist Bible that insurance companies adhere to. It's our, It's like a creepy religion. Is basically what it is. Uh, yeah, it's it's like this. It's almost like a. It's not even a religion. It's just like a, bu- a bunch of pharisaical like listing of rules. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. No. It's it's like uh, yeah. It, it's like the Talmud or something for psychologists. Yeah. It's insane. But it, and, anyway. it's, and it all has to do with insurance. But that being said, this is the world we live in, and right. and it's interesting whenever the medical establishment does acknowledge something like that, or when the, someone in the medical establishment doesn't acknowledge it. Like a good example is the. Um, the former head of the Johns Hopkins, like a uh, therapy clinic, you know, psychological clinic, or some huge guy. I can't remember his name. Or he was this he's huge, really big. He's like twelve feet tall. <laughs> now he's like this seven hundred pounds. He's a super well-respected psychologist. He used to run this major division of Johns Hopkins. Came out and did an interview in Time Magazine, I think it was, and said that there is no such thing as non-disordered um, transgenderism. Transgender is a disorder, and all these people that are trying to support this and make it a, gen- a norm, and all this gender gender difference and stuff, they're basically abusing these people. And the world went nuts hmm. because this Johns Hopkins guy said this because this is anathema. He's he's broken the curtain. You can't say that. You know, you got to support the agenda, right? So, I mean, these things that the, for them the DSM when homosexuality was taken. Is it kind of like saying that NPR is unlistenable radio? What's that? Is it kind of like saying NPR is unlistenable radio? Well, but even Pat Oswalt said that. Well, that's he's what I'm big, saying. Like, he's a big kind of heresy. Right? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's like I won't say what else it's like, but it's, um, um, but when the, another now then when something gets taken out of the DSM, that's a huge thing too, right? When they took homosexuality out of the DSM as a disorder, that was a, a huge thing because now so and there you go. And so um, when something's taken out of something like the DSM, or it's almost as strong as putting something in, but so now we've seen the opposite. Something that people were, didn't take seriously has now been is now being taken more seriously because of its inclusion in this. So, um, so anyway, so the, we were talking about different kinds of addictions before. Right. So, and so, so those addictions that now those things like porn, um, video games, these are things where you give yourself a focused repeated heightened experience that you're not really built for over and over again 
to get a chemical effect. But that's the, the biggest thing that's happened in porn addiction research recently is this understanding of it is it is a drug addiction. And it's that's why it's so hard to beat. It is literally, it's basically coke addiction. Because right, it's, so, it's, so, it's dopamine you're addicted to. I think, you know, what's interesting to me is that there are, we're, when we're talking about addictions, on the one hand, there are like physical substances that you ingest or inject right. or snort or whatever. Right. And on the other hand, there are behaviors that you engage in, right? Uh, like playing video games or working too much. But I just, I just, but I just addressed that. The coke causes dopamine, and it's dopamine that you get addicted to. Jumping out of an airplane causes dopamine, and it's that that you get addicted to. And porn causes dopamine, and it's the dopamine you get addicted to. You just, but then you kind of have your prefer. It's like if you're an alcoholic. Are you a wino? Do you drink vodka all day? Do you drink beer? Porn, jumping out of airplanes, or, or, or Coke, or all kind of like beer, wine, whiskey. What do you want? Which, right. how, how are you going to get your fix, right? It's right. all These are all brands of dopamine, so to speak. Right. But I, I guess what... Like Coke or Pitches. So, I think why it's important for me to kind of make a distinction between something where it's like a chemical you're ingesting versus uh, a behavior in which you're engaging in is I think that we don't normally think of behaviors as addictive in the same way as as chemicals or drugs. Because I don't think we understood that those behaviors right. were chemical addictions. Right. So, so it's where I want to go with this, I think, I mean, I'm just thinking of, I mean, we've all had those moments where you like look up from your laptop and you're like, oh my gosh, four hours just slipped by while right. I was Googling silly cat videos or whatever, right? Uh, or, I have or, never done that. Right. I, or I spent, I just spent I just six hours on Facebook. Fine what wine what was I thinking, you know? Um, oh, I, 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 could, I mean, I, I could just, last night, right, I, right. Okay, I was so, going to watch 20 minutes of Sherlock when I got <laughs> home and I watched like, you know, like Sherlock 30 episodes. No, I just watched a whole hour and a half episode and got to bed. Or, or the worst actually is 24. Oh, I remember oh, I was, I, I, I was trying to get a hold of one of my friends I kept calling him like over a period of like two or three weeks, and then finally I got a call back. And he's like, "I'm sorry, man. I started watching 24, and I haven't returned any calls in like two and a half weeks." <laughs> I did that. I did that with he, the he walking. watched like the whole first season of 24 in two weeks. I did that. I did that way faster than that. I watched. I watched the first season of The Walking Dead in like a weekend. Yeah. Like, yeah. I just did nothing but watch Walking Dead all week. Right. So, to me, this is like a cliffhanger, and at the end of everyone, you don't have to wait for next week and get teased by the commercials. You can just, like, go, so, yes, more, and <laughs> smack the hard right. money in so, another hand. So, I mean, the, the, the thing is, all of these kinds of behaviors are addictive in some right. way. Right. Um, and, and even when we talk about work, for example, that can be really addictive. Um, so, I mean, the, I think the best example of this is email. Uh, which a lot of companies and, and work experts are, are beginning to realize isn't actually the most efficient way to communicate um, because it, it can end in weird things like flame wars, right? right? Or it can turn into a kind of um, uh, a needless exchange, right, really, right. really short emails rather than an efficient transaction of information. And, and so I can have people that are constantly distracted, right. waiting for a new email to show up into, into their inbox, rather than engaging in work that takes you know more than two minutes of your. Attention I mean, this span. is. I mean, you and I are both fans of Tim Ferriss. 
And he, right. he, he dedicates a ton of that book to... Explaining how to manage email. Yeah, here's, yeah. How, here's how you do email by only checking it once or twice a week. Right. And he, you just have to manage everyone's expectations. Right. And you have to just... You just they almost have to put a response that says, Hi, thanks for your email. I check right. email on Thursday mornings and on Saturday afternoons. Right. So expect something from me Monday morning or... You know, it's like... That's... That's a good way to do it. I mean, it is. But well, it's kind of like how businessmen used to group their phone calls, right? Right. You know, if you, if you need to make a certain number of phone calls, you group them together and you make a whole bunch of phone calls in two hours, right? right. Rather than uh, making them throughout the whole week. Uh, so, so anyway, so the, the point is, though, that all of these different things can be addictive, right. uh, but that not all of the addictions are maybe at the same level of gravity. Um, and what do you mean by that is... Uh, you know, an addiction to email right. probably isn't as serious as an addiction to heroin. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Um, but they can still be debilitating in some ways. Well, what happens is, like, okay, there's there's some kind of lack or some kind of implied need or felt need. And then you go to get that. This is why teenagers text all the time. Right. And then you get it, and then you get this feeling. And this is like how heroin is, right? Right. You, you feel this crazy high the first time. And then you don't feel normal anymore. And so now you just want to feel that high again or at least feel back to normal. So you go do it again at Coke's like that, right? right. And they call, heroin users call it chasing the dragon. You have to use more and more frequently. And you're constantly trying to get that high. But it's never quite the same as it was that first time. And it's never even really quite the same as it was before. So you keep doing more and more and more and more frequently chasing the dragon and you never get there and that's why I mean that's what happens with porn it starts with you're like a kid and you're looking at the swimsuit issue next thing you know you're on the internet looking at just the most absolutely sketchy violent stuff 20 years later and it's gotten completely crazy and outside of anything you would have ever thought because it it was a constant consistent need for stronger more I think text messaging works this way you get a text message and it's like, oh, it's an affirmation that my friend likes to talk to me right. and, and loves me, and so I got a text message. Right. So you text back. And then, but now you kind of want another text message. Right. And so it can, just, it can snowball into a sort of almost unlimited sending of messages back and forth to one right. another because you're both getting this, these little tiny highs out of it. Right. Now, none of that is, I mean, I, I don't think that a text messaging addiction, right, is probably chemically even on the same level as something like cocaine but when you get when you see kids these teenagers like these 13 year old girls that are getting literally like a thousand text messages a day you're sending and receiving a thousand they're constantly texting right then it's 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 this massive disengagement from reality over into this and i i would say that's a pretty serious i mean that's gotta have i mean i know that like i said video game addiction has been added to DSM. I guess what I'm thinking about is they, they've, like, they've done recent studies on the actual like effects the of brain shape, yeah, brain shape and brain uh, weight, brain matter weight. You know how much you know brain volume. Yeah. Based, I mean it's it, it, it's huge. You can go well, come on, they're just kids wasting time playing Grand Theft Auto. I mean, leaving aside the fact of how violent and crazy some of these games are, even just the time spent. Engaged in this type of environment, even if it's, well, it's, what, it's what business is called an opportunity cost, right? Yeah. It could be doing something actually useful, <laughs> or, right, or pleasant, or something. But I mean, and so, so basically, if we want to pull way back, 
kind of where some presuppositions we're starting with. One of them is that we are the type of hardware that the software can reshape the hardware. You know, we are. This is the whole ancient brain idea. Yeah, the right. whole we physically our gray matter, and they talk. You talked about the myelin sheath. Um, well, they say that uh, these the synaptic connections and the strength and kind of the the slipperiness of the groove of these synaptic synaptic connections. They say that what uh, what fires together wires together, you know. Right. Um, now this can be a good thing too when you're talking about learning, sure, and the chemistry of learning and hacking yourself with the uh, certain activity to get a certain chemical reaction. There's that book um, Spark by Rady, and he talks about how. Um, intense physical exercise causes brain-derived neurotrophic factor, BDNF, and that's based like miracle growth for synaptic connections. So the kids that did that zero hour in Naperville, Illinois, in that one study that he cites, that did this intense workout from 6.30 to 7 o'clock, 6.30 to 7.30, and they did better in that first class because they were like in this place, they were swimming in the chemicals, and that talking about our ancient brain, think about it. When do you need to learn or learn from a mistake? As a caveman? As a caveman. When you almost just got killed, which meant you had to run and run and run and fight, or something worked and you killed something, and now you have to carry it, and there was a struggle. So either way, there was a bunch of physical activity, and your heart's beating through your chest, and your brain is swimming in BDNF, because you need to take that ex- the, the, the reflection on that experience and hardwire it into the shape of your brain so that you can have that as an advantage next time. Right. Right. So that's so that there's a good side to that. But well, then see, this, this addiction this, is the dark side. So this also makes me wonder about um, healthful addictions, right? And I don't mean healthful addictions to chemicals and things like this, but, but to behaviors, right? So there oh, might yeah. be a, a productive behavior... Say, for example, uh, I don't know, doing some sort of executing some sort of business strategy that is profitable, right? Right. Uh, and you find yourself doing it over and over and again, and it becomes kind of addictive almost to do this particular business strategy. Is that is that well, the same sort of thing or not? I think I'm, I'm, I'm defining an addiction in the, in the in kind of in this clinical sense where it's something that if you do it long enough, it takes more of that thing to give you the feeling that you got from it before over time. And when you take it away, you experience deeply negative effects like some kind of a depression or a, a, some kind of desolation or like an, a, a lack of a lack of feeling is engaged with reality and, and alive and awake, you know, and maybe you, you know, you eat more, you gain some weight, you start smoking more, you drink more, or whatever, because you don't have this thing anymore. You right, start but, trying but, to replace okay, it but, with but other But I'm stuff. thinking about something like a runner's high, right? Yeah. Or a singer's high. Or, or uh, a great feeling you have after working out, right? Uh, you know, and, and I mean, such things can be taken to extreme lengths, right? right. You can become a bodybuilder or a marathon runner or whatever right. just to get the high. Right. Um, but, you know, a lot of people don't. A lot of people, you know, run every day for a couple of miles because it makes them feel great. Uh, right. Well, and they I mean, keep coming back for that. Well, I mean, to me, I'll, that seems like a really healthy. And addiction. I think it, maybe it's a matter of degree because, okay, in our in our chemistry, obviously, there's a visual connection. You see this other person that you find very sexually attractive. That causes a chemical reaction in you, which then affects your um, your activity, your, your your actions, and then you have these other feelings and stuff like that. 
Now that could be if if you're married and you're in 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 your that's that's your wife and it's then you're bonding and you're making children and and society and the species moves on and it's of course those are all very good. If you're a guy, if that same chemical process turns you into a porn addict where you're just locked in your basement for a day at a time, not returning calls, and then when you leave, you're racked with shame and guilt and you won't talk to your friends and you end up just feeling these feelings of hatred and all this stuff, that's hacking and overloading and giving a false false thing, a false source, giving the same feeling. So, So, yeah, so it's... But maybe it is a matter of degree to a certain extent where, yeah, if you run every morning and it makes you feel good, but then if these people that run themselves to death, it is run and run and run and run and like run. Like Dancing Mania. Yeah, like Dancing Mania. We've been meaning to do the Dancing Mania podcast. Mm-hmm. Right? I don't know. Maybe that was. Maybe it was people that just weren't. Maybe so, that was. Okay. A, maybe maybe that's what it, they get a I, chemical hit from the dancing. Well, I think this is at the point at which we need to talk about flow. Okay, flow. Right, so there's a similarity between uh, chemical addiction and what we call flow. And flow is a, f- a phrase coined by a, a, neuro, a neurobiologist or a neuro researcher called Mihaly and Mihai. He wrote a book called Flow. Right. And, and it's and, basically the optimal state of human performance. Right, right. Right, where, and, and most people have experienced this in, in, in all sorts of different realms, right? So you could think of, of, of a painter in the midst of painting, right? right? just really engaged, you know, Monet at his canvas, painting something beautiful. Right. He's just in the zone, is, is another way of talking about right, it. Right, right, right. Or a, a surfer on a wave, right? right. Or a, a snowboarder. They call, or, they call that, a, with the surfers, they call it stoke instead yeah. of flow. And there's a, there's a really great article, you can Google it, I think it's called The Psychology of Stoke. And it's about like they actually studied surfers' brains and stuff like that, and they it is really good for you, and it really gives them that it gives them this immense amount of pleasure, right. and it has to do with the omnidirectional balancing hmm. and all the stuff that happens. So, you know, so the basic uh, biochemical argument behind flow is that when you achieve one of these optimal states of performance, which can be entered into in multiple avenues, it could be through some sort of physical activity like surfing, uh, through playing music, through art, through uh, even just like having a really good conversation, and for just, example. And just for the record, I'm going to Santa Barbara this weekend, and I saw on Facebook that the surf's up. Okay, well, you should go surfing and, surf's and report up, back bro. to the podcast. <laughs> yeah. so, but the point is, uh, doing one of these activities and getting into the zone, into the optimal state of performance, releases a sort of cocktail of right. neurochemicals that... Uh, at, at the same time, cause you to feel intense pleasure, right. uh, cause you to be very focused, right. um, and, and cause you to perform very, very well. Right. And so in order to perform some uh, types of athletic moves, you bas- basically have to get into flow. Right. If you don't get into flow, you won't be able to beat Roger Federer at tennis. Because you right? can't. You be... won't be able to uh, do a what is it? Double McTwist twelve sixty like Sean White. Double McTwist twelve. He's doing twelve sixty. Yes, I kid you not. Right. I mean, you can't do that if you're not in an optimal state of performance. I can't remember when Mike McGill did the first so, McTwist. So a lot Man, of the, that's amazing. A lot of the research into flow is about how to get into flow. Right. How to get? How do you get into it? And how do you get out of it? But but one of the things about it, right, is that after you experience that 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 high, so right. to speak, there's always a crash. Right. So even 
even as a surfer or a snowboarder or whatever, you experience this high or runner's high or whatever, and then there's something of a crash afterwards. So you're getting dopamine released and other neurochemicals, uh, and then then your res- your stores of those chemicals are depleted. Right. And then you um, uh, kind of come down from the mountain, so to speak. Right. Right. And you have to. It's interesting too, is that there's there's all this um there's these these um these um precursors that you have to have in place for flow to happen and and it's interesting it can't be easy right but it can't be too hard it has to be the difficulty of the task has to be matched to your skill level in a way that you are able to do it but it takes 100% of your attention well, it's like weightlifting right right i mean you lift a heavy thing and then you have to recover from it. Right. And so the next time you come back, a week later, or a couple days later, you can right. lift something heavier. Right. And you just sort of keep doing that. Which is funny. Yeah, yeah, we were talking about muscle memory earlier. Right. About about how in that that can kind of be repeated on a quicker level later on if you did that work the first time around. But and that has to so, do with the sheath on the outside of the muscle. So I, I think to try to connect uh, flow with our previous uh, discussion of, of addiction and chemical addiction and things like porn addiction and video game addiction, I think it's worth it to say that um, there's there's a way in which uh, unhealthful addictions kind of blow out your dopamine receptors, right? And basically, oh, for sure, and, yeah. And basically cause you to enter this horrible pattern of chasing the dragon, right? right. Where, where you experience a certain level of pleasure, but now in order to attain that same level, you have to uh, increase up the ante, right? You have to, you have mm-hmm. to take more. You have to... Uh, drink more coffee, right? In order and it's, to feel and it's, as alert. And it's, <laughs> and it's interesting because flow is like that too. You play a piece and you work through it and you work through it and you finally get to where the muscle memory is in place and you can play this crazy Franz Liszt piece or whatever. And then you go back and you can play that piece again and it's it just too doesn't. Easy. It's yeah. too easy. You have to find. But then if you go to something too hard, it'll cause stress and anxiety and that takes you out of flow. So it has to, you're constantly kind of trying to find the right level of, you know, and it's funny because I, I never thought about this, but you were, you, you, you were mentioning 1260s, like a double McTwist, and I, which made me think of the first McTwist and Mike McGill, and, you know, people were doing 540s and on, and maybe I grew up skateboarding. And I think that that's the brilliant thing about skateboarding. If you can turn off the anxiety filter of being judged by people around you of not doing the hardest tricks. I used to love to skateboard by myself because I would work on a trick and work on a trick and work on a trick and work on a trick over and over again by myself, usually at either the Baptist Church parking lot or the funeral home near my house. They had these big flat parking lots. So I would go out there in the dark in the middle of the night and just keep trying to do this heel flip over and over again. And then once you get that down, then you can naturally progress to the next version of that. And so you're constantly, you're, you're, you're setting your own agenda. And it's funny, that's like serious flow. And then now it gets too easy. You can pick, you kind of instinctively know what's See, the next thing. This is fascinating to me because I think, you know, they normally talk about flow in terms of performance, like Tiger Woods playing at right. a, a golf match. But I think the secret is not so much the public performance. 
but that you're experiencing flow in the context of practice. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. It goes into that whole talent is overrated book and, yeah. and the idea of deliberate practice. Yeah, right. Yeah. That it can't just be that you're experiencing flow when you're in the concert hall in front of 2,000 people playing Rachmaninoff. Right. It's got to be when you're in the practice room all by yourself at the piano with the door closed. Nobody can hear you except right. you. And somehow you're repeatedly experiencing flow as you're up in the ante right, day right, after right, day, right, right, right. and you're 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 sort of working your way through to to hit that. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't. Level. I don't think of flow in the terms of like. I mean, and I and I haven't heard the the whatever you listen to that you were interested in. I've just read. I've just read or listened to the audiobooks of Chichester sure. Mihai. And, he talks more about like people's daily work and their practice, right. right? You know, like the butcher, when you you know someone who just has this, he just knows what he's doing, and that that side of beef comes in and lands on the big cold slab, and he pulls out the right tools, and he knows what he needs to have this for the case, and he can go through and he knows every little ligament and every little right. thing and how to turn this, flip this at this moment, and he just does his work, right? And if you stopped him, said, "Hey, are you happy?" He'd have to think for a second, yeah, yeah, I guess I am. I mean, but the fastest thing to get yourself away from being happy is to ask yourself if you're happy. Sure. Right? But, it's in doing. It's a, this is I mean, Aristotle, well, right? This is, this I mean, is, this is why I love watching people do physical labor like this. Right? Right. I, I love, like, watching a bricklayer, for example, who's just an expert, you know, knows exactly where to put, you know, every brick, exactly how right. much... Um, mortar to put on the trowel, exactly how to build the wall in the perfect way, and it turns out perfectly straight, perfectly level, everything's right. Um, it's just an, it's sort of an amazing thing, right, that somebody, you know, can gain a skill like that and then exercise that skill, and it's deeply satisfying, right, right. To, to, to have a skill like that and then to implement it. You know, what's funny is that, like, we're sitting in a coffee bar. I've been a barista for a little over 20 years. Um, I can really get into flow. But th this particular shop we're in, for the most part, doesn't get busy enough for me to hit flow. But I can remember I had a job for a while where I would come in. I wasn't the manager or anything. I just clock in, and I was a barista, and I would be cranking one drink after another as fast as I can make them all day long, trying, but making them well and doing well and pouring latte art and all this. And there's 10 people in line. Right. And, man, I would look up, and eight hours were gone. And it's like it's and, and what that is is it's it the, when I when I, I remember when I put this machine in and I stood in front of this La Marzocco Linnea, I went ah I know this place because I've had this machine in every store I've had I know my muscle memory knows where everything is right and it's just in some way when it gets speeded up enough where it's hard enough but what's crazy about it though, you're almost just experiencing the movement. Which is almost automatic at that point. The, you the, know? The, in a certain sense, the faster it goes, though, the higher your your level of performance goes. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So that it could be that when you're in the middle of one of those eight-hour days where you're making a thousand drinks or whatever it is, that those are actually going to show up. The ones in the middle of that day are going to be better than the one that you might make. I don't know. At, you know, just as a one-off. Right. At a certain point. Um, and and there's something incredible about that, right? That that. Right. That you, your performance is somehow improved by having that incredible repetition. Right, right, and it's yeah, because it's because it seems like it's we're built to be taxed, but we're not built to be taxed beyond what we can handle. What what we're built to be uh, pushed to the limits 
but then to rise to that limit. And you can't, if you push yourself too far, it's like with lifting weights, you're talking about like CrossFit or something like that. You could go up to the limit and you kind of get some of these guys that are like, pain is just weakness leaving the body. You know, I saw a t-shirt right. like that. It was like the Marines or something. And it's like, you can go there and you can push yourself to the physical limit, right? Or like these climbers or guys that go out and climb Everest or something. But the moment you kind of push a little too far and you get to the point to where it's injury, then the whole thing comes crashing down. Right. So right. That's, that's kind of an analogy. You, you got to go fast and a little faster and kind of then rise to the occasion. But if it gets out of control, the pleasure leaves it. Right. Right. And this is what addiction is. Right. So, right. I mean, maybe just to try when to When pleasure to draw itself is no longer both. really the goal. Right. Because you, you right. can't really enjoy it anymore. Right, so to kind of draw both of the strings together, right? I think we can we can say that maybe God made our brains with all of these biochemicals or whatever uh, in order to help us do things like work really well and be really right. efficient and learn a skill and and exercise our 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 abilities as human right. beings. But that when we when we try to mess with that uh, through these external stimuli, whether it be a behavior like playing a video game or a, like ingesting something right. uh, that we can mess up that right. that chemistry right. uh, and basically break the system so that you know a, a, a meth addict isn't going to make a very good employee right right uh, because you know, the the sort of chemical what do you call it like reward system or whatever that exists in the brain right. isn't functioning anymore. Well, I mean to go back to the. In, to go outside the chemical addiction, a porn addict doesn't make a very good husband. Sure. Because they, one of the ironic things that happens with porn addiction is you lose your sex drive. Because it's not, and ironically, because it's not, it's not difficult enough. Anyway, it's too easy, right? You can get that image, you can get that, that hit, so to speak, without kind of the game and the conversation and all the stuff that normally go along with human sexuality, all the little intricacies of personality and context and moment and all that. You, and so you lose interest in that. You know, to me, it's kind of like those, uh, do you remember those ridiculous electrical shock devices for getting better abs? Have you, have you ever seen one of these? No, but I'm, just, I'm saving up for <laughs> one. Right, where it's basically like this weird thing you strap to your stomach, you know, and, it, and it's electro- supposed to electrically work out your abs. I think, but I, <laughs> if I'm not mistaken, Electrostim does work for building muscles, though. So I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I mean, that, that seems sounds kind of that ridiculous. sounds like a gimmick, but I don't know. Maybe if they, it really worked, everybody maybe would do they're this. onto something. <laughs> Look, I'm saving up for one. Leave me alone. I'm. Getting, I, I think about that. I could be doing crunches while I'm making your coffee back oh, here, despite a little battery pack, you know. <laughs> and on that note, <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. So hopefully you're not addicted to anything except this podcast. Hopefully you're not addicted to the ab cruncher things because you're going to be really offended. <laughs> <laughs> we would like to apologize yeah. to meth addicts, porn addicts, the, people who have purchased the ab cruncher. Anyone who's in ever the next done a episode twist. will report back about Andrew's success or or non-success with the electric ab stimulator. Look. I care about my six-pack. Everyone else put... These guys put their six-pack out there where they could get injured. I care so much about it that I cover it with a thick layer of Nerf so that it's safe. I keep my six-pack safe. It's hidden and protected with armor. All right. So, anyway, 
uh, whether, made from potatoes whether you're, and wine. Whether you're addicted to flow or to some sort of chemical substance, we don't know. But we do oh. hope that you're addicted to the over-the-counter podcast. <laughs> I was going to go there. <laughs> Not addicted, but we hope that we can be part of your flow, so to speak. <laughs> well, anyway, you like it. Uh, you have come to the end of the over-the-counter podcast. I'm Mark Eastcheck. And I am Andrew Whaley.